years ago, there were two men that were stranded on a desert island, and it would seem like kind of a hopeless situation. And one of the men was pacing back and forth, and he was just stressed out, and he didn't know what to do next. The other guy was kicked back on the beach, just kind of enjoying the sunshine. And so the man that was all stressed out walked over and said, how could you be so calm at a time like this? And the man responded, well, I make $100,000 a week. My pastor will find me. (laughs) As we do another week in our stewardship series, I want to make something crystal clear today. And that is the motivation for this series and for this sermon today. And it is this. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. You see, what our church is about is leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And so above anything else, what we want for you is to be growing in your personal relationship with Jesus. That is the most important thing. If you don't hear anything else I say today, if you don't listen to another word, I want you to hear that. That what our heart is, is that you grow in your relationship with Jesus each and every day. And the amazing thing about this relationship that we're invited into with Jesus is that it comes no strings attached. We don't have to somehow buy it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to merit it. There is no dollar amount that is put on it. It's a free gift of grace that's given to each one of us. He lived and he died and he, he went to the cross because of his love for you and for me before we could ever do anything for him. And he wants nothing more than to forgive you and to renew you and to give you a new life and a new hope for the future. And the thing is, that's true for you today, whether you listen to another word, whether you apply anything I say or not. And so please hear that heart behind the series. Now, we believe that God cares about us so much that he cares about every single aspect of our life. He cares about every decision we make, every priority we have, every single minute of the day. And because he cares about us that much, he cares about our finances. He cares about how we manage what he's blessed us with. He doesn't leave us on our own to try to figure it out ourselves. In fact, he has some very good advice for how we should live in conjunction with his word and what he would want us to do. And what he knows about each one of us, especially in the day and age that we live, he knows that money and finances can be one of the biggest obstacles that we face. It can be an obstacle in our relationship with other people, and it can certainly be an obstacle in our relationship with him. So God wants to help us. He wants to come alongside us so that we can become good at being rich so that we can be good at how he has blessed us in so many aspects of our life. Now, if you were here last week, what we talked about is that the problem is most of us, a majority of the time, don't feel very rich. I mean, we always can look at other people and say, well, look at what they have. They are so much more blessed than I am. I mean, it would be so much easier if I could live like they do. 
And we forget how rich we truly are, how blessed we are to live in this country, to have all that we have. And because we don't feel rich, a lot of times we don't stop to think about it like we should. We don't take the time to think, how does God want us to live this out? Now, I was thinking back throughout my life about times that I felt rich. And I think the time that I felt the most rich was when I was in high school. I think I was about seven, 17 years old, and I taught swimming lessons and I lifeguarded for a job. Now, teaching swimming lessons was one of my favorite things to do, and the best class to teach was the infant parent class, because all I would do is go around and hold all the cute babies for like 30 seconds and give them back to their parents. That was it. They didn't have to learn how to do the butterfly. You didn't have to put them in off the diving board. It was a great job. Well, eventually, I got to teach private swimming lessons, and we made $15 for a half hour, which was just amazing for a 17-year-old. Now, there's something about me uh, that you need to know, and that's that I don't like to spend money very often. You can ask my wife about this. And so I started to get these paychecks, and I would put them in the bank, and I would think about all the stuff I could buy, but I didn't really buy anything. And my bank account got bigger and bigger, and I felt rich. I mean, I just thought about I could buy this, I could buy that, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to sit and watch it grow. And so it really taught me an important lesson that I'd like to share with you, and that is, if you want to feel rich, get a job and move in with your parents, right? <laughs> so, instant solution. But last week, what we talked about, by virtually any metric, any statistic you look at, we are among the most rich people in the world. If you make just a very moderate income, you are in the top few percentage points of wage earners across the world. And no matter how hard you want to push back from that or you want to say, well, look at my neighbor or those people across town, it's simply a fact. We have been so richly blessed by God. But the problem is the more that we are blessed, the more the tendency is for our hope to migrate from God to our stuff. The more that we accumulate, the more the temptation is to start to hold on to those things tightly and to start to think that we can find our hope and we can find assurance and we can have confidence in the things of this world. And we start to forget about God. We put him over here and we focus in on our stuff. Last week, we talked about how King Solomon wrote in Proverbs how our tendency is to try to build walls around ourselves. We think if we can just accumulate enough money and things of this world, we can build walls high enough to protect us from everything that we're going to face. And what happens when we start to build those walls and we start to feel secure in ourselves is that our hope migrates from God to our stuff. And there's a huge danger around that. And so because of that, the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege named Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy. And in chapter 6, he gives them some advice for how to go and minister to the people in his church. And Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world. And again, our tendency is to push back and to think, yeah, it's for all those people, but we have to recognize this is written directly to us. Command those just like every one of us who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant 
not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but instead to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, the truth is, at the end of our life, it might be a diagnosis that we get. It might be a phone call that we don't want to get. It might just be at the end of a long, happy life. Whenever it is, at the end of our life, our hope is going to shift back to God. In that moment, it will be crystal clear that he is the only one we can trust. But if we know that that's going to eventually happen, we need to remember to put our hope and our trust in him today. To not just put him off for the future, but to actually live with him at the center today and tomorrow and every day. Why miss out on his assurance and his blessings all the other days of our life? And so last week we talked about making a commitment and saying, I will not put my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides when we feel kind of tempted to put our hope into our bank account, when we log onto our computer and we look at our financial statements, when we start to accumulate more and more and we think, you know, maybe I'm going to, we remember, I will not put my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. We look at our neighbor and we say, if I only had what they had, we remember, I will not put my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. So how do we make sure, day after day, that our hope doesn't migrate? What are some steps that we can take to make sure that we keep God at the center, that we put our trust in him and him alone? Well, Paul goes on in verse 18. He says, command them, command us to do good and to be rich in good deeds. You see, blessed people like you and me, have more opportunities to do good and to do good deeds than the average person. The more money, the more time that you have, the more opportunities you have to make an impact in other people's lives. But you see, there's always this tension. There's always a temptation. When we get more, we want to use it for ourselves. We want to hold on to it more and more tightly. But we need to remember that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. We might be tempted to help ourselves, but we need to remember to help others with what he's given us. Now, have you ever stopped to think how amazing it is that a majority of us only need to work five days a week in order to live seven days? That is not true in a majority of the places around the world. Most places, you work every single day to survive for every single day. Yet we live in a place where we might only work five days a week and we can still have a place to live and enough to eat for seven days a week. We also live in a place where in the average household, only one or two people need to work, yet maybe four, five, six people can live on that, off that income. Again, that's not typical around the world. Most places, it takes many more in the household to be able to survive. You see, we have been incredibly blessed, and because of that, we have a greater opportunity 
to do more good for other people. We have a really a responsibility to make an impact for others with what God has given to us. So then Paul goes on and he says also, be generous and be willing to share. Now, why do you think Paul has to spell this out so clearly? Well, it's because the opposite is so often true. The more we have, oftentimes the less generous we tend to be. You see, rich people give larger sums, but smaller percentages of their income. Now, I remember at a church that I served at right after seminary, and the senior pastor called me into his office one day, and we were amidst some big changes in the church, and they were kind of controversial. And he showed me an email that he got. And in this email, it was the biggest giver at our church had written this email, and it was really a documentation of all the gifts that he had made. He said, you know, in our first building campaign, I gave $500,000. In the second building campaign, I gave $250,000. And he listed it all out, and he said, because I have given so much, I should get to have my way. And so I'm thinking as a young pastor, I mean, obviously you do what he says. I mean, how are you supposed to respond? Well, our senior pastor showed me his response. And he said, I just want to thank you for your giving and for your generosity. But there are many people who have sacrificed much more and given much higher proportionally than you have. I mean, it was pretty bold, but it was certainly true. And it leads into the key for this morning. And this is something that I believe if you let it sink into your heart, can actually transform your thought process around money. It can actually transform the priorities of your life. Now, when you hear it, you might feel some dissonance. You might feel like you want to push back from it. But I believe if you embrace this truth from the Gospels, it will ultimately bring you freedom. Now, I learned this concept from Andy Stanley. He wrote a book called How to Be Rich. And according to Jesus, what we see in the Gospels is that generosity is not about the number of dollars given. It's about the percentage that's given. What we see numerous times throughout Scripture is that God is not impressed by the dollar amount or the number of zeros. Instead, what Jesus teaches us is that God is impressed and God is moved by percentage. And the example of this for today is our gospel reading. Jesus is in the temple, and he's seated right by the temple treasury. Now, you see, in the early church, they didn't take an offering like we did and pass plates. They had a large box down center, and you would come forward at any point, and you would put your offering into this big box called the treasury. And of course, you wanted to be seen by everybody else. It was something to be noticed for. It was something that was prestigious. So it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few sense. Now, maybe you've heard this story called the widow's mite 
before. Because a mite was the unit of currency that she was using. And it was the very smallest unit of currency in all of Israel. It was almost immeasurably small. It was basically equivalent to one 128th of a daily wage, which meant it was equivalent to what you would be paid for six minutes of work. Very small. Well, Jesus called his disciples over and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. This widow was more generous towards God than everyone else combined. And the disciples would have had their minds blown. I mean, they're like, hey, we saw Joe, and he owns all the Chevrolet dealerships in town. And we saw Fred, he's the CEO of that huge corporation. And you're saying this woman with her little copper coins has given more than everyone else combined. And God is telling us, I'm not moved by the zeros. I'm moved by the percentage. Now, I think typically we only tend to think about percentage maybe once a year, right? When income tax season comes around, then we're pretty clear what the percentage is. But a lot of the rest of the year, we don't stop to think about our proportions. Well, every one of us is living on a percentage of our income but we just might not even know what it is specifically. Whenever I meet with pre-marriage couples, I always tell them one of the most important things they can do before they get married is to agree on a budget and to decide what percent of your income are you going to live off of. And then as your income grows over time, it will create margin and you'll have room to weather the storms of life. If you start right out living on 100% of your income, it quickly turns into 105% and 120%. And it's why so many people today are struggling with debt. Now, the fact is, Americans tend to be very spontaneous and emotional givers. A little girl comes to the door selling cookies. We see an appeal on television. We get a mailer in the mail. And we pull out the checkbook and we're ready to give. But we don't usually plan ahead like we should. And we don't even stop to think oftentimes about percentage giving. We just remember that we did it and it makes us feel generous. And God says, that's not generous at all. All you're doing is giving your leftovers. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Now think if we took turns today bringing our tax returns forward. Don't worry, we're not going to try it if you're a visitor. <laughs> now, if you were going to come forward and we were going to share our tax returns, what would we conclude about where your heart is? What would you conclude about my heart? If we were to share our checkbooks, our financial statements, our investments, everything we've spent our money on this last year, what would it conclude about where our hope is, about where we're putting our trust. The surefire way 
to ensure that your hope doesn't migrate towards your money and your riches and things of this world is to do something important. And that's to have a plan. Plan ahead how you're going to live on what God has given you. And you see, what this is doing is it's managing your money instead of letting your money manage you. Manage your money or your money will end up managing you. And so I want to talk about three biblical words this morning that could completely revolutionize how you manage your finances and really how you manage your life. I think if you memorize these words and you put them into practice, these are God's plan for financial management. It will help give you a new sense of freedom and it will help you live in line with what God intends for your everyday life. Give, save, and live. If you want to be good at being blessed, if you want to have more margin in your life, if you want to be ready for the good times and the bad times that will certainly come up, give first and then save and live on the rest. The first 10% is God's. And then save 10%. And then live on 80%. You see, when you get your paycheck, you have the opportunity to talk to your money. I know that sounds weird. But when you get your paycheck, or you get your income, or you get your retirement, you have an opportunity to talk to your money. And when you receive it, you can tell your money, you are not the boss of me. In fact, I'm going to show you who's boss. And just to show you, I'm going to give some of you away. I'm going to give God the first 10%. And then I'm going to put 10% away for another day. And then I'm going to live off the last 80%. I'm not going to wait for the fundraiser. I'm not going to wait for the mailer. I'm not going to wait till there's a cute kid up on the screen. No, I'm going to give first. And then I'm going to save. And then I'm going to live on the rest. I'm going to prioritize others over and above myself. And I'm not content to just give leftovers. And I believe God is worth more than just a little tip, like I go to a restaurant. God needs to be the priority. Others need to be the priority. And then I will trust him as I live on the rest. Well, I brought a video this morning I'd like you to take a look at. Oh, I couldn't. Well, maybe just a bite. Get the interest.
brought the pie. Give first, then save, and then live on the rest. I think most of the time what we tend to do is the exact opposite. We live first, maybe save a little on the side, and we give whatever's left over, if anything. God asks us for our tithe, which is our first 10%. And what this is is a symbol. It's a recognition that he's in charge, that we're putting our hope in him, and we're remembering that the entire pie is his. Everything we have is really his. And that's why it's called stewardship. We are simply stewards of what he has already given to us. And so he only asks for our first 10%. The rest is ours to use. And what this also reminds us is that our tithe is not something to play games with, and it's not something to use to manipulate others. You know, there's sometimes people in the church that are tempted to say, if I don't get my way, I'm not going to give my tithe. If I don't get things the way I want them to be, then I'm just going to keep all the money for myself. You need to understand, if you're having that temptation, that you are hurting yourself spiritually more than hurting anyone else. God is not impressed when we play games with what's rightfully his. Now, if we were to take a poll here, or maybe just in our whole society, and ask, when you hear the word money or finances, what words come to mind? What do you think people would say? They'd probably say stress. They might say uncertainty. They might say debt. They might say unhappiness. But when we give and then save and then live, it really changes everything. Because you see, when we give, it always leads to joy. We know this to be true. I mean, Christmas is coming. I don't know how many shopping days, but it's coming quick. And we all know how it feels to pick out the perfect gift for someone that we love. And then to have them open it up and we feel this overwhelming sense of joy. And it's even a greater joy than we ever experience when someone gives us something. Giving always leads to joy. Saving, you know, having money in the bank is what leads to peace of mind. Now again, this doesn't mean you can stockpile enough to be bulletproof, to be self-sufficient. But what this means is having enough to weather storms of life, being careful about what's coming down the line, when we save, it creates peace in our life. And then when we live on the rest, it brings freedom. It brings margin. Don't spend more than you can make. I mean, it sounds so easy, but so few people actually practice it. If you live on what's left over, then you will be financially free. You can look around and say, I could get the newest version of whatever, but I don't have to. I could afford that, 
but I don't need to buy it. I could take out another loan and get a bigger house, but I don't need to do that. I would rather have joy and peace and freedom than whatever those things are, what those other people have. You see, more money will never ultimately bring you joy, peace, and freedom. But managing the money you have is what will bring you joy and peace and freedom. Good management is what makes all the difference. And it really goes for our entire lives. Invite your Heavenly Father to come in and manage all that you are. As you seek to manage your life, let Him be the boss. Give up control. As you seek to manage your money, your time, your energy, your gifts, let Him be the one in charge. Now think about what this would look like if every Christian would get this right. What if every one of us was able to live generously? We would be able to do more good. We would be able to share more with others. And people would be able to see God's love and His generosity flowing through us. We should be the most generous people on earth because we serve the most generous God. So in closing, we have an opportunity today to make a commitment to God, to pledge to Him that we will seek to put Him first, that we will make Him our boss, and we will take Him at His word, that we're not content to just give Him leftovers. We're not content to just give Him a little tip on the side. And so we ask you to prayerfully consider how God is calling you to respond financially this upcoming year. Are you going to let him be your boss? Are you going to fully trust in him? Or are you going to hold back? Now remember, we don't give out of pressure, and we don't give out of guilt, and we don't even give out of obligation. No, we give out of faith and love for Jesus. That's simply it. We give out of faith and love for Jesus. It means we trust him, we believe what he says, and it's simply an act of worship, it's an act of response. Everything you have is a gift from God. Give, then save, then live. And so after this last song, and I hope you listen to the words, it's amazing, it's powerful. We're going to have the opportunity, like we do every week, to come forward for communion. And if you come forward for communion, you can put your pledge card in these jars up front. Or if you'd rather, there's also some on the back on your way out. But here's an opportunity to say, God, I'm going to put my trust and my hope in you and in nothing else. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your incredible generosity. We give you thanks for everything you have blessed us with. God, we acknowledge everything we have is a gift from you. 
Yet we so easily forget that. We start to think that we deserve it or we earned it or we somehow merit it. Help us to never forget everything we have is yours. And God, help us to become better at managing what you've blessed us with. Help us to give first, not just give leftovers, not just give a tip. And then God, help us to save so we can create margin and then help us to live on the rest so that we can have freedom to do what you call us to do. God, my prayer for this church is that each one of us would become more generous this year and that as people interact with us, they would see your love and your generosity flow from us. God, help us to be the most generous people on earth. And God, we thank and praise you above all else for the incredible gift that you've given to us in Jesus that he would give up his life for us on the cross while we were still sinners. And so help us to grow in our relationship with him each and every day. God, we thank and praise you for your incredible love. And let's join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.